welcome to episode 10 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Fred Kensey, resident at University of Mississippi Medical Center and current at-large board member, speaks with AAEM board member Dr. Terry Mulligan, associate professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and director of the International Emergency Medicine Program and Fellowship. Today, Dr. Kensey interviews Dr. Mulligan about what he learned from his residencies abroad how to develop curriculum for international residencies, and the state of emergency programs worldwide. Welcome to another episode of the AAEM RSA podcast. I'm Fred Kinsey, second-year resident at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and co-vice chair of the RSA Education Committee. Today, we are recording from the AAEM Scientific Assembly 2017 in sunny Orlando, Florida. We have with us today Dr. Terry Mulligan discussing Building EM Residencies from an International Perspective. Dr. Mulligan is an associate professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, where he serves as director of the International Emergency Medicine Program and Fellowship. He is also on the board of directors for AAEM and is the past chair of the Committee for International Medicine, as well as a plethora of other committee memberships, far too numerous to mention. We welcome him here today to our podcast episode. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. We're going to be talking about building EM residencies from an international perspective, and I'll let him go from there. Well, again, thanks for the invitation. I'm happy to talk about this. It's a topic I'm kind of obsessed about for the last 15 or 20 years or so. I did my residency in emergency medicine at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx, and I got interested in international emergency medicine or global emergency medicine as a resident, I had been involved in uh, doing some relief work with a group called Do Care, where we went and did some relief work in Guatemala and El Salvador and Peru. And I got exposed to how emergency medicine systems are uh, in different forms and formats in different countries. You know, emergency medicine is not well developed in most parts of the world yet. And so I got exposed to that during residency and then became really attracted to it uh, afterwards. I had a chance to go to India for a four-week combination vacation rotation when I was uh, in my second residency, and uh, I was really turned on by a couple things. Uh, you know, one was I had just graduated uh, residency and was a, f- a first-year faculty in emergency medicine. I was a full-time resident in osteopathic manipulative medicine residency. So I was a f- an emergency faculty, and I was in India traveling around 10 or 12 different cities. And what I learned by being in India was a couple things. One, I knew about half of what I needed to know, I thought, in order to uh, help build emergency medicine in other countries. For example, I went to 10 or 12 different hospitals and their different emergency departments, and I felt, oh, they do that differently here. They have triages a little different, or they have different equipment here, or they have different staffing, they have different doctors, etc. I was kind of impressed by my emergency medicine training that I knew maybe about half of what I thought I needed to know. But the flip side of that is I didn't know the other half, and it was very obvious that I didn't know the other half. The the other half of 
education and training and experience that you would need to know in order to actually help build an emergency medicine system in another country. Things like, you know, administration and management and economics and et cetera. Your residency teaches you how to take care of the patients, a patient with CHF or a pediatric patient. But your residency doesn't teach you how to build the system. How do you actually get the specialty? How do you start a residency? How does your country run 20 residencies or 50 residencies? And then other things that not only do they not teach you in residency, but they don't even really teach you as a doctor, things like economic and reimbursement strategies, administration and management, national legislative policy formation, legislative support for emergency medicine and for acute care, things like public policy, health policy, public health. So on the one hand, I thought I knew about half of what I needed to know. But being in India and being in other places early in my career showed me there was easily 50% that I didn't know. And so if I had you know, called up 50 of my emergency medicine friends and said, let's go work at Hospital A or Hospital B in India, maybe in about 10 or 15 years, we would make a dent in that one hospital. But what about the other 20 hospitals in that city or the other 500 hospitals in that country? And so I became really interested in not just emergency medicine as a practice, but how do you build emergency systems? After these two residencies, I did extra training. I did three fellowships uh, after residency, one in international emergency medicine, one in health policy, and one in administration and management. And I was able to finish a master's in public health and also do work towards master's in health economics, policy, and law. So I felt like this extra 50% of my knowledge that was completely missing. I felt like I had to go learn those things if I wanted to be involved in global emergency medicine development. One of the first jobs that I got overseas after working for maybe three or four years in global emergency from the U.S., I felt like I wanted to go move and live in another country for a medium or long-term basis, two years, five years. And so I wound up moving to the Netherlands where I worked in Rotterdam at a university called Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. And at that time, they were looking for an emergency physician to start the first residency at an academic program uh, in that country. They had four or five training programs at that point, but they were at community hospitals and non-academic institutions. And so Erasmus Medical Center was the first major university to look for an emergency physician to be the first director, the first residency director, to run their first residency and to help with their program. So I had been trained as an emergency physician, and going through residency, you kind of learn a little bit about how to run a residency from Mm -hmm. having been a resident yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. you learn a little bit by osmosis. You know, you have (laughs) weekly conferences and you have readings and you have a curriculum and et cetera. But they don't really teach you how to be a residency director when you're in residency. They don't teach you how to be a department chair or a department director when you're in residency. Mm-hmm. Those of you who uh, are interested in this, who you know, want to become a program director or, or a department chair, there are training programs available for you, but it's done after residency. A- and often those training programs that are available, for example, in the USA, uh, either run by AAM or SAM or ASAP or e- maybe even some private groups, those training programs are very specific for the USA. So even if I had done a 
ED director's course or a program director's course, a lot of the information that I would learn would be very U.S. specific. I felt that being in the Netherlands, being their first program director, their first chairman, I had was kind of thrown into the deep end. So I had to learn a lot of things, and I wound up picking the brains of a lot of my colleagues, my mm -hmm. prior residency directors. Uh, I had worked at George Washington University. I talked with their program directors and at Georgetown, Washington Hospital Center, and other places like University of Maryland. Uh, and then, of course, friends of friends uh, from a lot of different American, Canadian, U.S. residency programs. And so I, I kind of pulled a little bit from here and a little bit from there and helped make what turned out to be the first curriculum in emergency medicine for the Netherlands and for my hospital, Erasmus mm -hmm. uh, Medical Center. This was back in 2006 when they didn't have a national curriculum. They didn't have a specialty recognized. They didn't have economic and reimbursement strategies for emergency medicine. There were some training programs, but it wasn't yet recognized by the government or by their system. So okay. I was there kind of at the very beginning. So some of the things I learned about how to be a residency director and how to be a program director from this global international perspective, because there really wasn't a course that I could take in the Netherlands, how to be an emergency medicine residency director in the Netherlands, because mm -hmm. they didn't have any. They didn't exactly. have courses. They didn't have... There were no residency directors there, maybe two or three. I wound up learning kind of the hard way <laughs> uh, how to do this. Over the next couple of years, I wound up starting to teach a lot of the other doctors who had graduated from their training programs how to be administrators, how to be program directors, and uh, how to be chairman. Because, again, they were some of the first emergency-trained people in their country. They were graduating from their residency, and they were being hired a, a month later or two months later to be a new chair or a new residency director. And no one had taught them. They had barely ha had enough time to learn how to be an emergency doctor, let alone a program director or a chairman. So some of the things that uh, I w learned on my own in the first two or three years of being in the kind of the hot seat in the Netherlands, I started training at first the Dutch doctors in this, and then later doctors from maybe 10 or 15 different countries. So we give uh, multiple different courses on this, on administration and management and how to be a residency director and how to be a program director, how to be a chairperson. But really from the international perspective, so what I tried to do is what are the 60, 70, 80% of things that you would need to know that are pretty similar from country to country to country? You know, to be a program director in the U.S., you probably have about half of what you need to know in order to go to another country and be a program director there. But that means the other half you don't know. What we try to do is put together these training programs to teach people to be how to be a director, how to be a program director. Now, this is something that you're interested in doing in the U.S. There are multiple different courses you can take. It always is helpful for you to work with your own program director or your own chairman or chairperson because there are a lot of grooming and mentoring you know, positions that you can take uh, in order to learn your country-specific details about how to be a you know, residency director. So you know, I don't want to give advice about how to be a residency director in the U.S. because I haven't been one. Okay. But I have been a residency director in half a dozen other countries. And I think maybe out of that experience, maybe there's something that's applicable to how to be a residency director here. So we know that emergency medicine is a fairly new specialty in medicine. 
born just 20, 30 some years ago here in the U.S., where it's its own specialty itself. How was that transition to taking emergency medicine to that international perspective where they only had four hospitals that even were teaching at that time? Well, it was very challenging. In the world, uh, emergency is one of the youngest specialties in the world. Uh, in the U.S., it's turning 50 years old next year, 2018. And it was a specialty underneath surgery in 1979. And it wasn't its own fully freely standing uh, specialty in the U.S. until 1989. So that's not that long ago. The U.K. is, uh, they've had training programs longer than us, but they've had a college uh, shorter than us. And uh, there are only about seven or eight countries in the world where you would call it fully mature, well-developed emergency care system, a system where they're right up alongside every other specialty. Those countries in no particular order are the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, arguably Mexico, and then maybe uh, a couple other countries where emergency medicine is what we would call a fully developed specialty. And I say fully developed with, you know, little quotation marks around that because the truth is we're not even completely done developing in the U.S. Very true. There are places uh, here where not every emergency department is fully staffed by board-certified residency-trained emergency doctors. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in rural areas like in Alaska or Wyoming or something. Even rural areas in Maryland, for example, where I work, there are a handful of emergency departments where some of the doctors working there are not residency-trained emergency physicians. So we still have a, you know, a lot of work to do here in the U.S., but com- when compared to a lot of uh, other countries, we're, you know, we're pretty well-developed. Same thing with Canada, U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore. So there's this group of well-developed countries, or I should say this group of countries with well-developed acute care systems. And then there's this middle group, where they're in the middle of building their emergency systems. They're not at step zero, but they're not at step 10 yet. They're not done. Mm -hmm. And Netherlands fits into that group. Netherlands, a handful of countries in uh, Western Europe, a couple countries in South America, Central America, a couple countries in Africa, India. So maybe 10 countries which are well-developed, about 20 or 30 countries which are somewhere in the middle of building their systems. And then the vast majority of countries, 100 or more, that have little or no emergency medicine development, meaning no training, no specialty, no board uh, certification, no specialty recognition, no mm-hmm. reimbursement or economic strategy, no government support, no public policy support, and no legislative support. And so it's an interesting time to be involved in global emergency development because 40 years ago, there were only three, four, or five countries. And the world 40 years ago didn't know how to build emergency medicine on a national scale. But I think 20 or 30 years from now, it'll be in, in 170 countries. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're seeing this right now. About 65 countries or so in the world have emergency medicine as a specialty. That doesn't necessarily mean they have a functional system because specialty recognition is very important, but it's not the only important step. Gotcha. Another question. You have this new specialty, 30 years old. You have this new hospital that you're going into that's creating an ER as a residency. How do you go out and get medical students? How do you convince them to come into this practice to learn from your institution when there's four well-established ones already there? A lot of development is being in the right place at the right time. You know, I was in Netherlands. I was able to be part of a national movement there 
and really I got a lot of credit for things that maybe I shouldn't have gotten credit for. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, an Indian uh, fable where there's a man sitting on the back of an elephant, and the man thinks he's steering the elephant, but he's actually not steering the elephant. The, the elephant is steering the elephant. <laughs> but the person sitting on the back of the elephant maybe can coax it this way or that way every once in a while. So I felt like I was riding this big national movement and I was privileged to be in a position where I could influence it this way, influence it that way, every now and then. And the truth is if we do no focused emergency medicine development or collaboration internationally, if there is no more collaboration with emergency medicine, every country will learn how to do it the same way we learned how to do it. They'll come up with their systems that are as good or better than our systems. They don't mm-hmm. need our help. However, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. There's no need for them to take 10, 15, 20 years to learn the things that it took us 10 or 15, 20 years to learn. True. Because um, if you go to two or three or four countries, you think, boy, these systems are really different. But if you go to 30 or 40 or 50 different countries, you start to see, boy, actually, these systems are very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pathways that countries go through from having no emergency system to having part of an emergency system and then eventually having a full emergency system, the pathways that they go through, the developmental pathways, are actually very similar. So new countries do have to reinvent the wheel, but they don't have to reinvent it 100%. Maybe they only have to reinvent it 20%. Um, So if you know how emergency medicine systems are built in 20 or 30 or 40 countries, then country number 41 is that much easier. And country number 42 is that much easier because you can pick and choose and borrow and steal from how things were done in other places. So that's kind of what I did when I became this residency director was there was no national curriculum. Uh, there was no hospital curriculum. And in fact, the concept of a curriculum, meaning a packet that I can give you at the beginning of your residency that tells you what we're going to do next week, next month, next year. These are the chapters you're going to need to read These are the lectures we're going to need to learn. These are the learning objectives that we're going to give you. That's pretty familiar to people in our program. But in a lot of places, those curricula don't exist. So I had to develop them. So uh, I did what I just um, talked about a second ago. I picked and chose and stole and borrowed and (laughs) kind of took a little bit from here, a little bit from there. I tried to look outside the U.S., obviously. I looked at other places in Europe and in Australia and other places where they had developed emergency medicine curricula. And um, I put one together uh, and gave that to my residents uh, in, um, in the Netherlands. And that curriculum uh, was adopted and eventually uh, um, um, was borrowed by a couple other programs. And, and then two, three years later, the Dutch uh, emergency physicians developed their own curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is now their national curriculum. Uh, I think it's in its third edition at this point. Um, And um, it's interesting. What they did with their curriculum development was similar to what I just said. They borrowed a little bit from the Canadian system, a little bit from the U.S. system, a little Mm -hmm. bit from the the, uh, uh, U.K. system. And then they built a curriculum, which I can say, in my opinion, in some ways is better than the systems that they borrowed from, Mm -hmm. uh, given that it was modern and brand new and it was a 2008 version Uh, and it's funny that um, the Canadian system that they borrowed from went through its own curriculum uh, restructuring three or four years later 
and they went to the Netherlands and borrowed a couple elements from the Dutch curriculum. Mm. They borrowed some elements back. So <laughs> it's kind of like the new kids on the block are teaching the old guys, um, you know, how, how, how to improve their own curriculum. Sounds good. Well, Dr. Mulligan, uh, we know that you're a busy guy at this assembly, so we definitely appreciate you coming through and uh, speaking with us for our podcast. Uh, you out there listening, we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast for AAEM RSA. Um, thank you again, and don't forget to tune in to another episode. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.